This is the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cutmore. The Mohawk Valley Museum Consortium recently held a program to discuss exploring history through personal experiences. The information session for museum staff and others interested in history took place at the Schenectady County Historical Society's Maybe Farm Historic Site in Rotterdam Junction, New York. Two speakers, Chris Clemens and Steve Bodner, discussed how they tour different regions of the state and share their experiences with others using digital media. More from Chris and Steve in a few minutes. We begin our interviews from the conference with researcher and consultant Cynthia Kurtz, author of the book Working with Stories. Cynthia Kurtz is also the creator of Narratopia, Narratopia, a card game based on ancient storytelling techniques. Cynthia Kurtz discussed what's called participatory narrative inquiry and how her new game, Narratopia, works. Well, it's a a card game uh, for families and communities and groups and teams to share stories with each other in the way we used to that we've kind of forgotten how to do. Yeah, I heard, uh, I read that in your literature, that, uh, I mean, I sort of am a, a new storytelling. I mean, I just come and tell a story, but you say that's not how we used to do it? Well, I, what I mean is people are still telling stories all the time, but the perception has changed in the last 50 or so years to where regular people think of stories as something professionals do. It's on television, it's in the newspaper, and we've kind of forgotten that it's just part of how we talk to each other every day. And so... Um, I was actually at a conference two years ago, and people were talking about gamification. And so I said, well, I study stories and how people tell stories to each other. And I said, could I make a game out of that? So I started playing with the idea, and that's where it came from. Is And it's just a way of playing a game together that helps you remember how to do this. Even though you already know how, mm-hmm. it helps you pay a little more conscious attention to it so it becomes more of a habit. You have cards that like give you leading questions and that gets people talking? Yeah, and, and the cards are all based on there's tons of published research on how people tell stories in conversation. So this is going into this literature and looking at what do we naturally do and just kind of nudging us a little bit in in helping us do that. It's almost like remembering that it's fun and that it's just as fun as Disney. Well, I mean, can you give an example? I mean, one of your question cards or or how it how it goes? Right or, oh, you're good. You can you can get them getting right out here and find there. Oh, it's it's a nicely packaged thing. I think this will this could be the next trivial pursuit or maybe it is already. I don't know. So uh, we have uh, questions about stories so and these are questions that people already typically ask about stories so you say um, who do you think would enjoy hearing about whatever you talked about Uh, what do you think it means that something um, what what do you think would have made something turn out differently Um, so these are kind of the questions that people already ask but it's a way to sort of nudge people along and give them ideas so maybe we've forgotten a little bit how I call it the art of storytelling conversation. So what people do is that they have these cards and the the cards enter into the conversation and enter into the gameplay, which is a conversation in which people are telling stories. And so it kind of is 
just helping us play with the things that we do. Maybe I should interject something along these lines. I mean, this is a a conference of the Museum Consortium, and it has to do with history. Um, How how does this relate to history? Well, I would say that it relates in two ways. One is that um, it's kind of a reskilling thing, like the maker movement, where people are learning how, again, to do the things that we've forgotten how to do because we buy everything from a factory, and we buy our stories from factories now, too. And so I'm very interested in helping people sort of, it's a maker movement for stories, kind of. Um, So that's one aspect. And the other aspect is that history is about stories. And that if you get people talking about the past, especially older people, you can capture a lot of that. And this is a way to, I mean, one of the ways you can use this game is actually get people to play it together and record it. Mm -hmm. And it's a great way to get an oral history because people bounce off each other and the game helps them to do that. And so uh, it helps get the stories flowing in ways that a, an interview doesn't exactly the same way. And uh, again, the game is called, or the card system is called Narratopia. Is there a winner or anything like that? You know, that, that was a difficult thing to figure out in the development because some people really wanted, in my playtesters, some people really wanted to win and some people were really turned off by that. So there's a way to play it so that there's a winner, but you don't have to play that way. You can play it either competitively or just for fun, just, you know, without a winner. Now, I, how long has it been out and what feedback do you get from how people are using this? Well, it's been out for maybe six months or something. Um, it's it's very it's still early. Um, they say that you, your game isn't finished until it's been played at least a hundred times. I think this has been played maybe thirty times. So um, the first ten times were in my own family. They put up with me making all <laughs> kinds of mistakes. <laughs> uh, and then I started branching out and getting more people to try it and getting feedback. Um, the, because it's for sale now, a lot of times you don't. I beg people for feedback, but not everybody does. Uh, so I don't know exactly what people are doing with it right now. But I was at a conference just two weeks ago, and I had the game out there, and somebody came up and said, oh, yeah, I know that game. We played it at a at a meeting. Mm-hmm. And so that was really surprising to me because I was like, wow, they think of it like a real game. Oh, <laughs> <know>? real game. <laughs> well, it, it, I consider it still developing. It It needs more tweaks, I think. And so I'm hoping people will keep playing it and giving me feedback so I can keep refining it. Can uh, people buy it or obtain it otherwise? Yeah, you can buy it. It's, it's because of, of cost volume issues, it's, it's being done on a, a print-on-demand game site. It's called okay. thegamecrafter.com. It's a really great site, cause, and it has lots of people come up with game ideas, and then they get made. Now, that means it's expensive. Um, I'm getting a dollar copy right now because I want to promote it. Uh, But the idea is that if it grows enough, then maybe I can start putting in big orders because that's when you get it to down to reasonable price. Just a little bit about yourself. You and I were talking. We could have been playing the game doing that, like where are you from? But I I found out you're from Edinburgh up in the um, Adirondacks or near the Great Sacandaga. Although, you know, used to be when I was a kid, where are you from meant where'd you grow up? But now it means, where do you live right now? Which I think is funny, you know. I mean, I grew up in rural Pennsylvania, and I like the rural life, so we moved up. We were in Westchester for a while, and we we came up to where the nature is. Well, Cynthia Kurtz, thanks very much for talking with us about Narratopia. Best of luck. Okay, thank you. Cynthia Kurtz, creator of the card game Narratopia. You can buy the game at GameCrafter.com for $27.99.
On the Neratopia website is the following. You can use Neratopia to create an oral history for your family, community, or organization. Connecting one's own stories with those of other people brings out more varied and lively stories than responding to standardized interview questions. We'll hear from two other conference speakers in just a moment on sharing history with others using digital media. This is Bob Cudmore. Here at the Historian's Podcast, we depend on you, our listeners, to help us pay for production expenses. Please donate online at gofundme.com forward slash historians2016. Or you can send a check made out to Bob Cudmore to 125 Horstman Drive, Scotia, New York, 12302. That's Bob Cudmore, 125 Horstman Drive, Scotia, New York, 12302. Thank you. This episode of the Historian's Podcast features speakers who attended a recent gathering of the Mohawk Valley Museum Consortium. The program dealt with exploring history through personal experiences. The event was organized by David Brooks of Schoharie Crossing State Historic Site in Fort Hunter. Schoharie Crossing includes a two-mile-long segment of the original Old Clinton's Ditch Erie Canal, an Old Erie Canal guard lock, the original Old Erie Canal Empire Lock Number 20, the enlarged Erie Canal Empire Lock Number 29, the enlarged Erie Canal Yankee Hill Lock 28, and the remains of the Schoharie Creek Aqueduct. Nearby is the Tribes Hill, lock number 12 of the Erie Barge Canal that is still in use today. One of the speakers at the Conference on Exploring History Through Personal Experiences was Chris Clemens of Exploring Upstate, who described his efforts in self-publishing a website, Exploring Upstate, and using social media outlets to inspire others to seek all kinds of adventures in New York State. Here's Chris Clemens. Hey, Bob. Exploring Upstate is um, essentially a chronicle of me driving around New York uh, and discovering essentially anything I find to be intriguing. So in many cases, it's historical sites. Um, It might be culture. It might be a really unique food item that I find uh, to be interesting. I'm a huge fan of coffee, so I cover a lot of coffee. Uh, So it's essentially anything. And how long have you been doing that? So I started in 2011 with a blog uh, under a different title with a friend. It was called Exploring the Burned Over District. And we essentially stuck strictly to religious and spiritual sites in New York. And um, as each week when we would explore these different sites, uh, we would begin to learn about the other history that was directly involved or either cause and effect before or after the Burned Over District, things like the Erie Canal, temperance movement, women's rights, abolition, all these other really great things that were going on. And I always really wanted an opportunity to have a space to share more of those stories as well. Um, So Exploring Upstate started in the summer of 2014, when we wrapped up the other the other project. And this is the second time the phrase the burned over district's been on this program and in recent weeks. What did that mean? So the burned over district was a term that was coined um, in the late 1800s um, to describe 
the region, primarily central and western New York, uh, and it was coined by um, Charles Finney, uh, who uh, sort of rose to the height of his career as a preacher in Rochester in 1830-1831. And essentially what he described to be this region as um, having the lamp oil of the spirit essentially had burned up. And what he meant by that was everyone in our region, central and, and, and western New York, uh, had religion. Mm-hmm. Um, someone subscribed to something here. If you wanted to spread the, the word of your beliefs, you had to go elsewhere because everyone was already subscribed here. Um, so um, it, it, it kind of was directly involved in the history of the Second Great Awakening, which people generally believe is 1820 to 1860 or so, somewhere in there. Um, but we were a religious revival um, landscape, uh, which is one of the most unique religious histories really the country's seen. And a major religion started there here. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah, quite a few, yeah, and and a few and a few probably wrapped up around that time period as well. Um, you think about uh, things like the Oneida community that got started and then wrapped up. Uh, but yeah, you've got the Mormons, um, Seventh Day Adventists, um, Advent Christianity. There was a whole bunch. Now, in exploring upstate, you you cover more other things or other, you know, but in upstate New York, how do you define upstate? <laughs> so my definition of upstate, I'll back up even before the definition. Essentially, what I wanted to do was cover everything that was in New York State, but not New York City or Long Island. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much there. There's so much happening, so many things. People already know about it. If you Google New York, all you get is New York City in the first, like, 10 pages. Um, and, I, and I really, um, I mean, I've been born and raised in, in Rochester. I love New York. We vacationed in the Adirondacks, Lake George, you know, as a kid growing up in all these places. And, and exploring that is, is uh, nostalgic and important um, for me. I realize that the exact definition of upstate isn't New York except New York City and Long Island. Um, so I, I sort of had to use a little bit of liberties with the definition. Um, but what's a lot of fun is to ask many different people that exact question because it's always different. Sure, sure. Um, so what I, what I say on the about page on exploring upstate is that upstate is basically everything except New York City and Long Island. But most people from all of those regions would um, identify as being from a very specific region, central New York, uh, western New York, the Finger Lakes, Mohawk, you know, all those different ones. What what has been the reaction to the uh, website? Uh, I mean, it's been mostly positive. Um, I I don't, uh, there's probably, I've probably caught a little uh, negative feedback from people here and there, but it's pretty, um, it's pretty. I mean, how are, how are people using it? I mean, what, what it's, what's, what's it for? Yeah, well, that's a good point. Originally, what it was for was me. Um, and that's how it started out um, when we first started blogging uh, with, with my friend back in 2011. It was essentially, like I mentioned, a chronicle of all the places that we were going because we wanted to capture and document this really fun exploration. And other people started like seeing photos on Instagram and on Facebook and reading the blog posts and saying, I really want to go there. So it almost turned um, into a resource for other people. Um, so I'm doing all the driving around and the reading and the Wikipedia pages and the historical documents and finding these things. And other people are seeing them on my site and saying, I'd really love to go do those. So I do occasionally get messages from someone saying, 
I'm going to be in Penyan next weekend. Where should I go eat? Mm-hmm. So I, I think a lot of different people are using it a lot of different ways, but it's sort of grown into a bit of a resource, which is really an honor for me that anyone would ever find something that I have to say as resourceful. No, uh, is this a business? Are you making money at it or not? Or? <laughs> Um, I make a little bit of money, not nearly enough to pay my mortgage or even probably cover the cost of driving around and hotel rooms and eating and doing all those things. But um, it is first and foremost uh, a passion. Uh, it would be really wonderful if someday it could be a full-time job, but for right now it's a full-time hobby. And this is also, I mean, you're speaking here to this uh, group of folks with, at museums this you write about the history of of new york and and so i don't know if you're and consider yourself an expert but you're certainly using the modern technologies the uh, social media if you will to uh, explore history uh, what, what do you think about that one of the things that i've seen with the trend in digital media social media things like that um is that it's giving um a voice to people that typically wouldn't have an opportunity to have a voice or be in a position to talk about um, their personal experience. Um, So even 10 years ago, if you wanted to have your own website, it was a lot of work. Mm -hmm. So because of technology and software developments and things that are happening now, the average person has the opportunity to share their own personal story very, very easily. Um, You use the word expert. I don't know that I'd say I'm an expert in anything. Um, I'm an expert in figuring things out and maybe not always getting to where I want to be, but at least trying. Um, and, and I think that that's probably one of the things that I've taken away from this the most is that as long as I keep trying new things and developing new ways of telling stories, if other people are celebrating them, that's awesome. But this has been something that's really fulfilling for me that's allowed me to continue to learn and grow personally and professionally. Chris Clemens and the website is Exploring Upstate. You can find it online. Anything else you'd like to to say? No, this has been a great honor. I really appreciate chatting with you. Yeah, yeah. Chris Clemens is a Rochester resident, born and raised, with a degree in health science from SUNY Brockport. He works as operations manager for a small, nationally-based not-for-profit. He fills in at the counter of a local tattoo shop and says he drinks a lot of ginger ale. Exploring Upstate chronicles all that makes Upstate New York a land of adventure, says Chris. Exploring Upstate will take you along the high roads, low roads, and back roads to find the unique festivals, people, and architecture, history, and oddities that help make New York State one of the coolest places to explore. 30-year-old public relations professional Steve Bodner also spoke at the Mohawk Valley Museum Consortium program on at Exploring by Sign. That's an account that Steve has on Instagram, where he logs the discovery of historical signs in New York State. Steve Bodner was raised in Camillus, New York, near Syracuse, and now lives in Geneva. Bob Cudmore, and uh, we're at the gathering of the Mohawk Valley Museum Consortium, and we're speaking with Steve Bodner uh, about a program that he has launched uh, on the the medium of Instagram, uh, where he uh, takes a look at 
historical signs. What kind of signs are you talking about? Uh, thanks, Bob. Great to be here. I am running a project called Exploring by Sign on Instagram. And what I'm doing is documenting the historical markers that you see all throughout New York State. They're on backcountry roads. They might be at historic properties, bustling downtowns, at scenic overlooks. They're really everywhere. They're quite prolific. They're very public. And what I'm trying to do is document the experience of going around curating those kinds of signs on Instagram, sharing it publicly, and hopefully inspiring others to go out there and explore in their own unique way. So this is yet another way to use a modern technology in the service of history. Absolutely. I think that social media, Instagram, Facebook, uh, other platforms are the perfect way to be able to bring history to life in an immersive social experience online um, and connecting like-minded individuals or individuals that might not be aware of a particular uh, place or what's available in their community and just kind of bringing that to life online. Where uh, where are you from? Where do you live? I grew up in the Syracuse area. I'm currently living in uh, Geneva, New York. Beautiful spot, Geneva, I'm told. Uh, I've never been there, honestly, but uh, well, anyway, it's neither here nor there. Um, how did you start this? Or did I somehow I got the impression that you were able to get a grant to do this? Was that true or not true? You're just doing this. I, I'm just doing this as a as a project on my my own. Just, uh, no, not related to any grants. Just it's a, an area of interest of mine, and decided, you know what? I'm just going to get out there and document this experience and. Instagram happened to be the right platform for me. Um, it's uh, curated content, visual, so you have videos, uh, you can have photographs, some graphics, and it also has the opportunity for engagement through commenting and liking and sending messages to people. So it is a, a great communication tool for being able to kind of share this, this particular experience exploring by sign. So you get feedback to Exploring by Sign. What are what do the uh, viewers tell you? What are the most popular signs? Or were there any of those that surprised you or, or just confirmed what you always thought about, oh, this people like this sign? Yes, actually, uh, the signs that seem to get the most attention usually are involved with a historic structure or a historic property where you're getting a little bit more of a sense of place. There's something to see at this particular site. Um, it's maybe more of a, a, a landscape view where someone's able to actually see themselves there visiting that particular location and perhaps making more of a connection than just seeing uh, a sign with some text on it and not maybe making that inroad as concrete. I would presume you would know. I mean, the, I know what you're talking about with these historic signs. They're often blue and gold and they're around New York State. What is, where do they come from? Were they once or were they ever put up by the government? So uh, the original blue and gold uh, historical markers were put up by the Department of Education beginning, I believe, in the late 1920s through the 1960s. I think they put up 
uh, around 2,800 of them, um, noting um, sites of historical importance. Um, and then uh, they backed off from that, and then it was taken over by other local organizations, municipalities, historical societies, and groups um, that would make the um, would advocate for a particular site and uh, and work through the process and get that get that sign posted. I think based on um, my searches from the historical marker database and a number of other publications that there has to be more than 3,500 statewide. Uh, but that that really would just be a, a, an estimate based on my own my own experience, my own my own research. I mean, is there anybody that reviews them in, in a sense? Or, I mean, could I put up a sign to mark my birthplace, for for example, if I so chose, and use that blue and gold metal format? I know that there is a foundation, the William G. Pomeroy Foundation, that has a, a application process right now with some uh, grant, uh, with I believe uh, some some grant funding to uh, have uh, a sign placed. Um, I'm not, I haven't been involved with that particular process, so. I'm not. I'm not really knowledgeable with with that particular um, with that full process. But um, there's certainly opportunities through. It looks like that uh, that foundation uh, to uh, to get new signs placed, and there has been new signs placed um, all the way up through this through this year and in recent time. I think more than 300 through that foundation from from looking at their their website and seeing what they're up to. What are some of your favorites? Or can you just tell us about a couple or three of the signs? Absolutely. So um, one of my absolute favorite signs is the Nine Mile Creek Aqueduct uh, sign um, in Camillus, New York, next to Sims Store. Um, the Erie Canal is uh, so rich with history and a great part of our, our state's history. So um, that was one of the launching points for me. I grew up in Camillus and I've seen that sign. And I thought that that would be a nice inroad for me to begin this project. Um, another one of the markers, and it's not really a historical marker, but it's a state highway department sign, but created in the same style as these other historical markers. And it's a mileage marker showing uh direction and mileage to places like Auburn or Skinny Atlas and that's in Marcellus New York and that's just and it's a double decker too so it's interesting it's visually interesting uh it's white with black lettering and it's uh it's just a really engaging one and I would say that uh the uh, one of the sites recently that has been very, very visually interesting to me is uh, is a historical marker noting the first uh, firehouse in Livingston County in Lima, and uh, just the architecture on the building, brick building, beautiful, and really, really cap- was able to capture that uh, through uh, photograph, and, and that one was very well received on Exploring by sign. I'd asked before about grants. Are you hoping to make this like your livelihood, or is it just going to be a hobby forever? This is this is a passion project. I've always been infinitely curious. Uh, always the kind of person who likes to get out there and explore and see what the world has to offer and learn more about what my community and what a place has to offer. And my interest in travel and history and storytelling all come together in one place through Exploring by Sign. So it really is just a, it's a passion project and I'm having a lot of fun. Steve Bodner, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Steve Bodner and his at Exploring by Sign account on Instagram 
was the subject of a question-and-answer feature on Chris Clemens' Exploring Upstate website. Bodner said, The historic signs are very public and very prolific. They're along country roads and throughout cities, situated at waterfalls, parks, and scenic overlooks, tucked in front of famous homes and landmarks, and posted at old mills, schools, and farms. They're everywhere. The signs are designed to engage the public through concise bits of information, I'd say almost tweet-like in length. Just enough text to get to the point, well, most of the time anyway. But the signs represent much more than embossed lettering on metal. You've been listening to The Historian's Podcast, recorded at the November 2016 program on exploring history through personal experiences, sponsored by the Mohawk Valley Museum Consortium, organized by David Brooks of Schoharie Crossing State Historic Site in Fort Hunter, and held at Schenectady County Historical Society's Maybe Farm Historic Site in Rotterdam Junction, New York, the oldest farm in the Mohawk Valley from 1705, Maybe Farm Historic Site offers visitors educational and recreational opportunities. Over 10,000 people come to Maybe Farm each year. With a deep family history and riverside beauty, Maybe Farm is the perfect place to explore Mohawk Valley heritage. I'm Bob Cudmore.